birthday to His Majesty King Charles III. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a very, very wet England. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or heaven help me, causes you to choke on your English muffins and pancakes, please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Yes, indeed, it's a happy birthday to King Charles. He was born on this day in 1948, same year as my mother. There's not a lot else to celebrate, really, on a day like this. Um, various things like, oh, Coventry being firebombed on this day in 1940. So, yeah, I think sometimes when there's a really happy event, let's just embrace it, shall we? Happy birthday to King Charles. 75. And he's, in fact, having a birthday party, especially for people celebrating the big 7-5 this year. Good morning, Mary's Dowry. Good morning, Jacqueline. And, oh, dear. Good morning, Ross. Sorry you've had such a bad start to the day. Um, front doors at work were locked. I entered through a turnstile, slipped on the grass, stepped on the grass, slipped and fell in the mud. It'll get better from here. It will definitely get better from here, I promise. Um, I'm going to ruin everything by saying I had a fabulous start to the day because we had our beef eater full English breakfast this morning. It's usually on a Thursday, but we had it today instead because everyone's feeling a bit fractious and tired and fed up. And we just felt we needed a really hearty breakfast this morning. My daughter is training to be a skating coach on top of all her own training program and is feeling a little bit stiff this morning, as you can imagine. I gather it is also Pickles Day. I'm not sure about how I feel about pickles. I'm not really an eater of pickles unless it's cheese and pickle sandwiches. Uh, but we are certainly in a pickle in this country if David Cameron, would you believe it, David Cameron is returning to the cabinet. Yes, I, I do feel our country really is in trouble if a man who managed to usher in the biggest constitutional crisis of modern times is regarded as the answer to the country's problems now. Let's see how that works out, shall, shall we? It, generally speaking, it's not regarded as a great idea when a former prime minister takes up a senior position. It's a bit like, well, if you imagine, say imagining, you know, 10 years' time, um, that I was running the Crusade Channel. And the King Dude said, oh, um, hey, uh, do you mind if I just take up a, a junior position? as a, Maybe, maybe I'll do the early show. It just wouldn't work. It, ju it just wouldn't work. Someone who's been in the top job, no, he should just go right, right away. He's done enough trouble to the country. He's given us enough. Yes, um, the King Dude, David, let's go to war in Syria, Cameron. Um, yes, David, David, uh, Brits aren't quitters. I'm quitting, Cameron. Yes, David, I don't like him very much, Cameron. Don't have any trust in his integrity, Cameron. That's David Cameron, yes. Um, the big joke when he first became leader of the Tory party was that what was so exciting was he had hair. 
because the last two disastrous Tory leaders had been completely bald. Um, and, uh, you know, if he was nothing else, he did have a lot of nice brown hair. He doesn't even have as much of that these days. So he really does not have a lot going for him. OK, it seems I'm in a minority and being a bit iffy about pickles. Maggie loves pickles. Mary's Dowry, I too love pickles. Um, Jacqueline saying my mum turned 75 on October the 7th this year. Well, who knows if she'd been if she'd been over here, she might have got invited to the party. It's a good age, 75. Um, it's particularly a good age if you're um, if you've only just become king. Um, but you see, as the late Queen did point out, yes, she got to be Queen very young. Yes, you know, she was the dynamic young royal. And yes, she got all these wonderful things like you know, the Platinum Jubilee and the Golden Diamond Jubilee and all the rest and the longest serving monarch. But the only reason all that happened was because her beloved father died very young. So the fact that King Charles III is celebrating his first birthday as king at the age of 75 is a good thing. It means his his mummy had a nice long life. Okay, well, <sighs> there's no getting around the subject of the day. I did promise I would talk about this case over here of Baby Indy. It was mentioned yesterday this was another baby who the courts ruled should be uh, in quotes, allowed to die. There have been a number of high profile cases of this nature in recent years. Charlie Gard, probably the most famous, Alfie Evans, Archie Battersby. Um, there have been a lot of cases where, you know, a, a child, usually a baby, is terminally ill. The doctors want to stop treatment, the parents disagree, it ends up in court. They're extremely distressing cases and this child, Indy Gregory, is the, the latest in a long line. I promise I would uh, say a few words about this case and just give a bit of analysis from the sort of pro-life angle in Britain where, you know, we're used to dealing with the NHS and with cases like this. And Particularly when the Charlie Gard case happened, I did look into it in quite a bit of detail because I was still working for the pro-life movement at the time. And in fact, I was at a conference where um, a very senior pro-life Christian neonatal specialist gave a talk specifically about the Charlie Gard case and the implications, the legal and the medical implications. Um, I'll talk first a little bit about specifically Indy Gregory and what happened. Um, she was being treated at the Queen's Medical Centre in Nottingham. She suffered from mitochondrial disease. And the hospital said they could do no more for her and wanted to switch off her life support. Her parents, Dean and Claire, disagreed they wanted to take her to a hospital in Italy to continue treatment. It went to court and the Court of Appeal judges ruled that her life support could be removed and that she should be transferred to a hospice. Her, the final request of the parents was that she should at least be allowed to die at home. This was also refused. 
and she died on Monday at 1.45 in the morning after her life support had been withdrawn. Her family have said that they are angry, heartbroken and ashamed. The NHS and the courts not only took away her chance to live a longer life, they also took away Indy's dignity to pass away in the family home where she belonged. The family was supported by Christian Concern, the Christian Legal Centre, and they have, in fact, offered the legal support for many of these cases. I think the first thing I would say is that it is very unusual. It seems as if there's a constant stream of cases like this, but... It is, in fact, very unusual for a case like this to end up in court. Uh, in the overwhelming majority of cases involving a terminally ill child, there is no acrimony between the families and the doctors, and things are sorted out uh, fairly amicably. So we, we need to get some con kind of context here. This is an unusual situation. I also think... Medically, in these cases, the doctors are almost always right. And there is such a thing as burdensome treatment. There is such a thing as, you know, unreasonable treatment, as vitalism. And we need to be aware of that as pro-life campaigners, that we don't campaign for life at all costs. We are not vitalists. We are pro-life. There are situations, and the church makes this clear, there are situations when the withdrawal of treatment may be perfectly legitimate. If it is futile, if it is overly burdensome, if it is uh, unnecessarily painful and unpleasant for the patient. So I do think it is quite important that we consider that doctors should not be forced to carry out treatment that in good conscience they believe to be futile or even dangerous. There is such a thing as conscience here. And for the same reason, we make it very clear that doctors should not be forced to perform abortions or euthanasia or other procedures that go against conscience and frankly go against good medicine it becomes very dangerous when doctors are forced into situations where they feel they have to carry out treatment that they believe to be completely wrong and not in the best interests of the patients. We have to allow some kind of professional discernment here. However, what is completely wrong about this situation, in my opinion, um, and uh, before I before I state why I think this this is a very a very serious and very worrying case. Uh, Mary's dowry saying, it mystified me it would make the court and doctors refuse to let her go to Italy at no expense to the English government. Yeah, and this is the um, this is the issue that I think really is at the nub of the of the case. When it comes to cases going to court, hospitals have in-house lawyers whose job it is to protect the hospital's backs and to ensure that the hospital gets what it wants. That is what those lawyers are trained to do and paid to do at taxpayers' expense. They tend to have access to medical information that the other side do not always have. So everything is stacked 
in favour of the hospital from the moment both parties turn up at court. Judges tend to be biased in favour of the hospital. It's very unusual for a judge to rule against a hospital in a situation like this. So, as I've said, everything is stacked against families from the moment they step through those doors. That is why I think it going to court at all is very, very problematic. I also find it very difficult to understand why a hospital should have any right at all to prevent parents from taking their children elsewhere. Sure, if a hospital gets to the point where they have to say, hands on heart, we don't feel we can do anything further for this patient. We think we should withdraw life support, we should withhold treatment, we have taken this as far as it can go, this patient is dying and should be allowed to die in peace. I get that. That may be a perfectly legitimate position. However, what I do not accept is that that hospital should then be allowed to say, oh, but by the way, uh, we're going to keep the child here as a kind of hostage and not allow you to take this child to another perfectly well-equipped hospital that is willing to treat him with uh, very well-trained staff who know what they're doing. That is something I simply do not accept is legitimate. You know, the hospice in, in, in Italy, the hospital in, sorry, the hospital in Italy that was prepared to take on baby Indy, it was a perfectly good hospital. And every time this has happened with Charlie Gard, with Alfie Evans, there has been a hospital or a hospice in Italy that has been prepared to take those children and say, you know, we will care for them um, until their natural death. Okay. You know, we're not promising miracle cures here, but we are prepared so that there isn't this agony over the withdrawal of food and fluids or the withdrawal of um, life support. Those are different things. Life support may be legitimately withdrawn. Food and fluids may not. You know, we will take care of this baby. That is what I simply do not accept the hospitals have any right to do. And I don't believe the courts have any right to either. And this happened in the case of Baby Indy. It also happened in the case of Charlie Gard. There is something almost vindictive about the way they take over completely the control over the, the treatment of the child, even to the point of deciding where that child is going to die. In both this case and the case of Charlie Gard, the parents wanted their child to die at home. And it was insisted they had to go to a particular hospice. In, in some cases, there was a hospice they wanted them to go to. No, the courts determined it would go. It would be another, a different hospice. It's completely petty and unnecessary. It's almost like they're punishing the parents for daring to question the hospital. And that is where I have huge disagreements about what is going on here. It's not the medical decision. I don't believe the doctors are out to kill anybody. I, I, and I, have, I think we have to be a little bit careful about the wording we use here. There are many, many situations where it is in the best interest of a patient for treatment to stop. It just, it happens. There's, there's always a point. When my mother-in-law was battling cancer, there came a point where the treatment became futile. It was not helping her anymore. It's agonizing when that happens. Now, of course, because she was an adult, uh, she could say, OK, you know, I appreciate that. You know, if there's nothing more that can be done. 
you know, I understand that. But there, there are those moments very frequently when battling a, a very complex, very pernicious illness. So I am not questioning the medical judgment. I am, however, questioning the legal judgment. It's 24 minutes past the hour. You're listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast. Same day from crusademax.com. And we are talking about the Indy Gregory case. This is um, a little baby with mitochondrial disease. It's not a curable condition who has died following a legal battle um, the doctors wanted to remove life support. The parents fought for the right to take baby Indy to Italy, to a hospital that had offered to look after her there. Their request was turned down. Their request for their baby to die at home was turned down. And Indy has now died in a hospice. What I find most nauseating about these cases, every single time the hospital responsible for putting the family through this living hell will always put out a message saying, oh, and we are so sad to, to hear about the death of baby, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, we are very much, the family are very much in our thoughts. And this has been a difficult journey for everyone, you know, as if what they've been, what the hospital has been through is anything close to what the family have been through. And, you know, we, we hope they can now move forward with their lives. It's always so patronising, so fake, so unpleasant. I just... It, it almost angers me as much as everything else that happens. Let's stop pretending you actually care. Come on. Um, oh, Dr. Torres is saying, happy Bunt Day. I didn't realise it was National Bunt Day. I like a Bunt cake. I've discovered them recently. I was given one of the, the moulds, you know, the, the roundy, roundy cake tins, and I, I rather enjoy them. Um, Kazi67 saying, I agree, it's inconceivable to me that these hospitals hold these patients and their families hostage. Is it the money? It isn't, you see. I mean, it, it isn't. It, I mean, it, there's, there's nothing financially for a hospital to gain by stopping uh, a child from being a patient, from being transferred to another hospital when they weren't going to treat that child anyway. You know, the, the funding they would get for looking after that baby stops the moment that baby dies or is transferred. So there, there's no materialistic reason for doing this. Um, I think it just, it gets to the point where I think there's overreach. I think I have to call it overreach that medical staff start behaving as if they're in some ways the parents of the child or the guardians of that child rather than their medical carers. They lose sense of their own, own role in that, that particular case. And what I didn't say yesterday because I wasn't sure if I was allowed, I'm still not entirely sure I was, I'm allowed because I, I um, couldn't get the, uh, couldn't get the final say so. But let me just say that a member of the team the legal team is now being harassed um, and has now been singled out as a result of being involved in this case and is now fighting for their career. Um, what also, it seems to me, happens in cases as contentious as this, you'll remember this with the case of Dermot Carney, the 
Irish cardiologist who was reported to the General Medical Council for giving abortion pill reversal treatment to women. The process is used as punishment. If somebody steps out of line, if somebody questions the status quo, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a journalist, the process is used to destroy them. They can get reported, they can get suspended, they can get arrested, they can go through months and months and months of hell trying to save their career, their liberty, whatever it is. And everything will usually get dropped, but they will still have been through an, a terrible ordeal, sometimes lasting several years. Um, Caroline Farrow, who has appeared on this show before, recently had all charges dropped against her, having been arrested over a year ago for misgendering somebody. She was arrested twice. She was aggressively questioned. She had her electronic devices uh, taken from her and her children as well, including her autistic child, lost her electronic devices. She was facing the sort of sanctions that are normally given to a paedophile, to a convict, convicted paedophile, everything got dropped. So she's a free woman and she can get on with her life. But she spent a year constantly fighting the police and the courts. She can't have that year of her life back. And that's always that's that's always the next the next port of call. If they can't get you any other way, they'll find some way to try to process you into silence. It's it's very frightening. So I really do feel for the family of Indy Gregory today. I hope they will be comforted. And I hope also that those who try to help them will not be discouraged. Um, Mary's Dowry saying, I'm glad she was baptised. Paul C., good morning. Um, Maggie's saying, I don't know where Dr. Torres gets his national days from. That isn't on my calendar. It's not on mine either, to be quite honest. But, hey, I like a bunt cake and, you know, bringing food into the conversation every so often. It's not such a bad thing. Um, Patriot 21, if the hospitals and governments allow parents to make these decisions, it will interpret, it'll interrupt their drive to being able to euthanize anyone they want at will. Mary's diary, it seems vindictive. That's the part I do not understand. Um, this is it, I think. It's it, There's always something about it that just feels like a bit of a power trip, frankly. Um, there was another case uh, some time ago where uh, the, the child was six years old and the parents were both doctors and quite senior doctors. They were Asian. I, I remember seeing the pictures. And they're sitting at their daughter's hospital bedside, you know, uh, and... What had happened was the father had apparently pushed past a doctor to get to, to the, the girl's bedside. And this was interpreted as an aggressive action. And they called the police. There was no call whatsoever to get the police involved in the situation. A very sad middle-aged couple was sitting by their dying child's bedside. They were not a threat to anybody. But they called the police in. And the police officer was clearly, you could see it on the the video footage, gagging for a fight, went out of his way to deal with the situation as heavy-handedly as possible. This poor man ends up being wrestled to the ground and manacled to a bed and wheeled out and deprived of his medication as he was in the process of saying, I'm having a heart attack, please let me have my medication. 
but they were far too busy calling him an animal and saying it was all his fault to notice and he did in fact have a heart attack there's always there's always something about the way it's dealt with which gives the impression that somebody's just enjoying putting a person in their place and after they carted off the man the poor woman having witnessed this she's she's sitting there in her hijab you know very very distressed and they went and grabbed her and arrested her you know it just it, why why do this who, who is benefiting from any of this it's power politics um dr Charles, sorry it's tomorrow dang it i thought today was the 15th yes you thought yesterday was the uh was the 14th as well because you said it was national pickles day and I, this morning when i saw it was national pickles day i thought oh no have i got my days muddled up don't worry dr torres we all have days and weeks like that we have to go to an ad break now but do stay tuned um as we discuss this situation um, that's unfolding in the UK and other topics of interest. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. Our call and telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me, do enjoy the conversation. We will return in just a few moments here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio, the way it should be. Good morning, all you early risers and insomniacs, and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. 
Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation as you enjoy our hearty breakfast of, I don't know, what are you having for breakfast? Bunt cake by the looks of things. If you are just joining us, we have been talking about oh, the birthday of his majesty the king charles the third 75 years old this year anyone else um experiencing the big seven five the big three quarters of a century this year we are though more importantly discussing the baby indy gregory case baby indy was suffering from mitochondrial degree um mitochondrial disease and the doctors at the hospital in Nottingham here in England said that there was no more they could do for her and that they wanted to withdraw treatment and take her off life support. Her parents disagreed. It went to court. The parents wanted to take her to a hospital in Italy. This was refused by the Court of Appeal, as was their request for her to die at home. She passed away um, early hours of the morning on Monday. Uh, good morning, Lady Bellarmine. Uh, Philip is saying it's an exercise in control. Ultimately, the government is putting the bill in a national system. If they can't force, they don't force the issue, then more people will want extra care. And those who can afford to operate outside the system will cause unrest with those who can't. So their answer is forced compliance. You see, I don't really feel that's the issue because in all of these cases, I mean, if you remember with Charlie Gard, the family raised thousands and thousands of pounds to cover the treatment. They weren't asking the NHS to foot a penny more of the money to care for the child. They'd raised money to pay for everything to have the, the child airlifted out to Italy and to be cared for in Italy. It wasn't going to cost the NHS or the government or the taxpayer anything. Um, it never came down to money in the end. I do believe this is overreach. It's it's a form of old-fashioned paternalism that states that parents should not have really any say in what happens to their own child. That doctor knows best, and if the family agree, that's wonderful. If they don't agree, they will be broken in the courts until they are forced to agree or forced to stand back uh, angry and heartbroken as doctors remove their child's life support. For individual doctors, I don't think this is a situation anyone wants. I'd imagine it is very, very difficult. I can't imagine what it would be like removing the tubes and the machines from a child in the presence of their grieving parents. I'd imagine that must be absolutely horrific. I don't know quite how heartless you'd have to be to be able to do that. I do think, however, that it, it turns into a power trip whether anyone means it to or not. Once you start getting the courts involved, things inevitably are going to become extremely acrimonious. Um, so there was there was an uh, Dr. Torres thought it was National Bunt Day, um, but it is National Bunt Day tomorrow, so we can celebrate that tomorrow. Kazi sixty seven is saying that chain called Nothing Bunt Cakes is wonderful. I bet they have specials tomorrow. You can get very small bunt cakes, so you don't feel too guilty. I didn't know you could get small bunt cakes. Aren't those called donuts? 
Dr. Torres, Rolos, hooray, creamy caramels wrapped in rich chocolate. Is one Hershey's lover, chocolate lover? No, I'm not a Hershey's chocolate lover. Rolos is not made by Hershey's, not in this country anyway. I'm wondering about this now. I'm going to have to look up British Rolos. Do you love anyone enough to give them your last Rolo? No, I have it, thanks. Cuddy67 is asking, any thoughts as to why the Queen at the time or any of the royal family now does not intervene? The royal family may not intervene in matters of the courts. Um, in the words of Jean Anouy, the monarch rules under the law, not above the law. It's the difference between being a leader and being a tyrant. The royal family must um, it must accept the law. Um, you know, if if a member of the royal family is accused of a crime, they will have to account for it in court. Um, it's. Uh, it's very difficult, but it's one of those one of those situations where they're, they're not at liberty to intervene. Um, however, what you do get in terms of trying to get sort of government intervention, people do try to get their local MP involved in situations like that if they can. Um, I have got my MP involved in a humanitarian case once where I was campaigning for an asylum seeker who was about to be deported. And you can ask the MP to campaign for you, to speak out on your behalf, to ask questions in Parliament. Um, that's really as close as government intervention as you can get. Louise is saying the government that the government has the power to give the people everything, has the power to take everything away. Dr. Torres. This quote comes up quite a bit, um, but I will read it again because it is very thought-provoking. It's a quote by, I hope I was saying his name right, Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. To be governed is to be watched, inspected, spied upon, directed, law-driven, numbered, regulated, enrolled, indoctrinated, preached at, controlled, checked, estimated, valued, censured, commanded by creatures who have neither the right nor the wisdom nor the virtue to do so. To be governed is to be at every operation, at every transaction, noted, registered, counted, taxed, stamped, measured, numbered, assessed, licensed, authorised, admonished, prevented, forbidden, reformed, corrected, punished, then at the slightest resistance, the first word of complaint, to be repressed, fined, vilified, harassed, hunted down, abused, clubbed, disarmed, bound, choked, imprisoned, judged, condemned, shot, deported, sacrificed, sold, betrayed. Uh, Dr. Torres saying one of my favourite quotes is from the um, anarchist. Yes, he is, I assumed he was an anarchist from that quote, yes. Um, Louise is saying, had that been my child, I'd be dead or in jail. I'd take her out of that hospital or die trying. Well, I mean, you do sometimes get cases of parents being arrested. Well, in, in that case I described in the first segment where that, that couple uh, were arrested, it was absolutely shameful. I mean, the man the man very nearly did die. He, he had a heart attack. Um, Cuddy 67, wow, that pretty much nails it. It reminds me of what God told the Israelites when they wanted a king rather than him. Um King did dreadful but very timely bumper music coming up. Mm. Oh, Stevie's daughter. Oh, it's a song about Stevie's daughter being born. Okay. Kaisi67 says it's a wonderful song. Tahil Militia uh, saying, My mother is 73 today. Dr. Torres is saying, Does Sherlock Files know who Stevie Wonder is? Um, 
Is he the one who was blind? Am I close? Happy birthday to all birthday people, including... Sorry? Yes, I was right, was I? Hooray! I got something right when it came to dreadful music. Um, Cutty67, happy birthday to your mum. Tahir Militia, time for a bunt cake. Um, Dr. Torres, though, to be honest, I thought you were close to 73 yourself. Don't listen to him. Um, Kazi67 saying, I missed the rest of the conversation yesterday. What's become of the families? Um, what has become of these, the families of these poor families? Are they to be quiet or be ruined? Um, sorry, which uh, which families was that? Um, is this the families of the uh, is this families of the, the, the children in these cases? Um, I can't remember. I can't remember where we left things yesterday. Uh, Maggie saying we used nothing but cakes for my niece's bridal shower. It was so delicious. Nothing but cakes. That's so good. Um, Cassie sixty seven did not know that. It seems such a shame. Yes, indeed. I mean, I suppose though, one has to look at it the other way. What if the king could? keep interrupting yeah like for example our king is very interested in the environment king charles he, and he has been for decades i mean long before it was kind of fashionable you know what if he started interfering saying i don't like government policy and whatever i'm going to step in here you know insist everyone has solar panels i, I could just i could see it going horrendously wrong um nothing bunt cakes looks absolutely delicious dr torres i've never seen bunt cakes like that wow just wow yes it's, a, it's an art form Paul C. saying, my mum used to make a great chocolate rum bunt cake. That sounds wonderful. As she got older, the amount of rum increased. Yep, yeah, even more. Even more wonderful. Dr. Torres, and no, a mini bunt is not a donut. Well, sort of looks like it ought to be a donut. Oh, there they are. Oh, they're a bit like little fairy cakes, aren't they? But they're round with a hole in the middle. So not at all like fairy cakes, really. Oh... No, it's not. Okay, okay, it's not a donut. All right. Um, Maggie saying everyone attended also got one of these little ones to take home with them. They were, they were attacked rather quickly. This sounds like a very favourite place, nothing bunt cakes. My favourite is the red velvet. Mm, that does sound good. Ashley saying that is very tasty. It's been a while since I've been there. Maybe I'll order some for Christmas. I do find red velvet a bit too rich, even for me. Um Sorry, I haven't had coffee yet. Yes, the families of those children in those hospitals. Oh, um, yes, they uh, they will not be have paid for their legal representation. That will be covered. They are supported by, it's usually Christian Concern. The Christian Legal Centre is connected up with a group called Christian Concern. They cover the costs and provide legal um uh, legal representation in many of these cases. Other organisations that sometimes step in as the ADF, you've probably come across ADF, I've had representatives of ADF on my show before. Um, in the case of Dermot Carney, for example, Christian Concern supported Dermot and uh, ADF supported his colleague Eileen Riley. So no, fortunately, they aren't going to end up with a massive bill. Um, however, I mean, one gets the sense that they do get a bit of a lot of support. And in fact, um, they tend to get support from Christian communities. Um, they're either, uh, they're, they're either from Christian communities themselves. Um, 12 year old Archie, if you remember, he, um, died of, he, he went into a coma as a result of a strangulation injury and he was on life support. And that was the battle. 
he had in fact of his own volition been baptized catholic and all his family became catholic as a result of him so they do at least have these faith networks to look after them but i think however you lose a child it's always going to be a wound that lasts a lifetime i think to deal with the what ifs must be much harder and that's why it's one of the many reasons why I do feel that the conclusions to these cases are so wrong, because even if the child would have died, for the sake of the family, for them to know that everything possible was done to try to help them, it really makes a difference. I remember a doctor telling me years ago, when I was still a student, that when they, they used to get caught death cases, um, you know, baby uh, babies rushed in, blue, unresponsive, the team would know that that baby was dead or was dying. But they would quite often do resuscitation. They do CPR and things just so that the family knew that every possible opportunity was given for this baby. Even if they knew this baby was not going to survive, they knew that the family needed to see that if there had been the smallest, tiniest possibility that that baby might live, that they would have that they had taken them up on it that they had they had done everything possible um and i thought gosh that must be very hard for a doctor trying to resuscitate a baby he knows is very unlikely to wake up but they did do that anyway so for the sake of the parents they didn't want the parents to be constantly wondering ever after was there something they could have done was there something else they could have done because it's agonizing um that was little Monty in the background just barking. It was. Um, hang on a second. Uh, Dr. Torres, there were other blind guys besides Stevie. Roy Orbison was blind. Was Roy Orbison blind? I thought he had a squint, which would have made him blind in one eye. I thought he had the same condition I have. Because I thought he wore dark glasses um, because because of the squint. It didn't, you know, he didn't like the way it looked under the lights. Am I right about that? Ray Charles, I know, was blind. He, he lost his sight in childhood, didn't he? The five blind boy, boys of Alabama were blind. You get no credit for that guess. Oh, come on! You know, I, I mean, the, the, the overwhelming majority of music... Um, this is going to get really un-PC in a minute. I'm going to stop. And Stevie Wonder is not dreadful music, dreadful politics maybe, but the music is toe-tapping. I can't think of a single song by Stevie Wonder, apart from the one I've just heard, which I'd never heard before. But I do remember Stevie Wonder, and I'm sure I remember my mother saying what an inspiration he was because he was blind. That is all I remember. OK, um, I've, I've always been like, sorry, can I just say in terms of having an interest in, in blindness, because um, because I lost the sight in uh, my left eye when I was very young and there was always a possibility I might completely lose my sight. I had other sight problems, which didn't look very promising when I was growing up. I always had it slightly hanging over me that I might at some point in my life find myself unable to see. And it was, you know, it's just something that it, it was in the back of my mind. And I think in a way that's probably why, you know, famous blind people were talked about in my family because it was like a way of saying it's okay, you know, you, you can you can do all sorts of amazing things if you can't see, it'll be fine, you'll be fine. You know, it was a, it was a way of being inspiring. Um, Maggie's saying that's why the small ones are the best not too big the, the, this is cake we're talking about now not singers presumably um, yeah. I love the way we flip between one subject and the other Kazi67 Maggie O'Connell the icing alone is worth getting a cake I would just eat the icing myself 
Um, uh, Bob, good morning. Um, to hear militia. You sure it wasn't five blind boys of Mississippi, not Alabama? I have some old recordings of a five blind boys of Mississippi. I think I'll let you fight over that one. I have absolutely no idea. Uh, old school black gospel group. Uh, no, well, who knows? Could someone, could someone um, mediate in this one? Was it five blind boys of Alabama or Mississippi? Someone help us out here. I'm not the right person to mediate. Um, Philip is saying Eddie Murphy does the best Stevie Wonder impersonation. I was introducing my children to Eddie Murphy some time ago. We were watching The Nutty Professor. They thought it was hilarious. They loved him. Um, but I have never seen the, the Stevie Wonder, Wonder impersonation. Um, Cuzzy67, a woman after my own heart. Good icing is a real treat. I mean, do you know when I was a child, I, I sort of, I used to save the icing to last. The cake was the boring bit. I'd eat the cake so I could have the icing. Um, Ron, I think my wife is blind. She thinks I'm handsome. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I don't care if the Southern girl uh, in, the, in the advert has a problem with that. So there. Oh, there are two groups. Okay, Dr. Torres is saying there are two groups, the blind boys of Alabama and the five blind boys of Mississippi. Right, there we go. Oh, I wonder if we should move on at this point. We're coming up to the top of the hour. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you have missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. We have been talking about the birthday of King Charles. Um... Pickle day, bunt cakes, though it is national bunt cakes tomorrow. You realise we'll have to have this conversation all over again tomorrow, don't you? Which is probably fine. Um, and the case of Indy Gregory, the baby whose case ended up in court, whose life support was withdrawn and who died late on Monday night. And I'm learning a lot about southern music by the sounds of things. Um, I was just saying that because um, sight problems have, have always been a, a problem for me particularly and sight problems run in my family, um, that was why I knew that Stevie Wonder was blind. Um, and he'll manage to say, dang, lots of blind boys in the deep south. Um, Jacqueline is saying, I make cupcake sandwiches. I take the bottom off and put it on top, sandwiching the icing in the middle and I can eat it all. That's, now, that sounds to me like a mini Victoria sponge. You put lots of lovely jam and cream and icing in the middle to stick the two bits together. Um, keeps my fingers from getting messy. Very good idea. Um, BD gear. We're still, we're still arguing about what the, the band was called. It was 10 blind, blind boys of the South. Um, Philip saying Andrea Bocelli is blind. He is indeed. And um, he tells the story about his background. You know, that way his, he was... Um, his mother was pressured to have an abortion. She was told, you know, he wouldn't amount to anything and all of that. And this is why I think it is so important that people with disabilities who are really high achievers are being given the space in the media they deserve. I was talking yesterday about a young woman with Down syndrome who completed the New York Marathon. Um, and she was the first to, woman with Down syndrome to complete the Austin Marathon, the New York Half Marathon. Um, she's, she's a champion marathon runner. She goes all over the world. And 
you know, this is so important. But as a disability rights activist told me once, people with disabilities shouldn't have to prove that they're superwoman or superman. And there's always this feeling that it's okay to, to have a disability as long as you're doing something really amazing. Well, the overwhelming majority of people with disabilities, like the overwhelming majority of people, just want to live perfectly ordinary lives and get on with things without people saying they should be dead. Um, and I get that. But I think just changing the narrative, I think that's what it is. It's changing the narrative. Um, it's pointing out that, you know, a disability isn't the end of anybody's life. It's you know, look at look at Beethoven, look at look at Helen Keller, awful politics, but what a woman. You know, it's possible, and, and that was why you know I was taught about people who were blind or who or partially sighted as a child, so that you know, fortunately I can see, I can see enough um, to be able to drive, to be able to be independent. But that's why I was told those stories. So if I had lost my sight, I wouldn't have gone into complete despair. You know, I'd have known it wasn't the end of the world that I could get on in life. You know, uh, when my sister was at music college, she's a harpist. Uh, she said there was a beautiful opera singer, trainee opera singer, uh, she remembered, who was blind. One of her close friends at uh, a music school, she went, she went to music school when she was 11. Uh, he was albino and he had very, very poor eyesight. She said he was a stunning musician and went on to have a successful career. Um, yeah, sorry to hear militia. I knew I knew Beethoven was deaf. Sorry, but of course, and he he lost his hearing later. Um, they think, in fact, that he had meningitis because he, he he was ill and then he lost his hearing. Um, but the fact that he he wrote some of his most famous symphonies when he was completely deaf, he could not hear a single note he wrote. Isn't that just extraordinary? Um, to, to think he was able to do that. By the way, there is a film called Copying Beethoven. Um, it's historically nonsense. The uh, musician who was asked to copy his uh, writing down for him was not a beautiful woman. He had two male copy artists, uh, but they decided to have someone fetching for the cameras. Um, and... Beethoven's deafness is really selective uh, in the film. There are times when he appears to be able to hear perfectly and other times when he can't hear a thing. Um, but it's got it's, it's worth watching copying Beethoven for the scene where they are performing Beethoven's Ninth. It's an incredible sequence, just amazing. And you see his panic as he, and he's trying to conduct without being able to hear. And... Um, the way he gets assistance to to do it and, and it all works beautifully yeah it didn't quite happen like that for real um he was on stage but the musicians were told not to take any, take any notice of him but it's just it's so it's such a beautiful piece of music and it's such a celebration of you know a man conquering um a disability um Dr. Sure is best to be a harpist than a harpy Oh, I assure you that uh, the similarity between those words has not been lost on my sister. Um, the King Dude, Helen Keller was a eugenicist and was in the eugenicist society. That's why I said terrible politics. Um, I find it very distressing that Helen Keller went that way because, you know, she conquered, I mean, to, to have two, to have a double sensory deprivation, um, you know, that is... Um, it's huge. I mean, it, it, at the time as well. 
um, it could have been, well, she could have ended up in an institution, just been completely written off. In some ways, the the real hero, heroine of the Helen Keller story is her teacher. Um, but I do find it very distressing that she ended up being a eugenicist and basically saying that people like her shouldn't live. Um, it's a very bizarre, very twisted uh, way of looking at the world, given how much she cared about promoting people with disabilities, conquering her own disabilities, and then saying people with disabilities shouldn't be allowed to live. It's it, it's devastating. Um, to Hill Militia, Beethoven's seventh second movement is possibly the most profound piece of music ever written, in my opinion. Oh, hooray, we're talking about classical music. I am happy, and I'm in my happy place. Um Bert Stark, Bocelli was not born blind, lost sight in left eye as a child due to glaucoma, lost sight in his right eye due to a football striking him in the right eye aged 12. I'm sure he was told, his mother was told to have an abortion. Maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm muddling him up with someone else. Um, sorry if I am. Um, but I, I thought maybe it was something else. Maybe it was for another reason. Um I didn't, because glaucoma in childhood is quite unusual, but, but oh, um, Dr. Torres, Rachmaninoff Piano Concerto Number no. 2, one of my favourite pieces of music. Oh, do you know, I longed, there were two pieces of music, I was a pianist and a violinist when I was growing up, there were two pieces of music I longed to learn when I was accomplished enough. One was um, the Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. 2, and the other was Mendelssohn's Violin Concerto. Sadly, um, arthritis got to me first, um, and I can't play either instrument anymore, but I do love to listen to piano and violin music, particularly pieces I did play once. It is just wonderful to hear. Um, and that's another thing to bear in mind, that sometimes a disability can take away something that really mattered to you once. But nothing in the end is definitively lost. I'm very glad I had all those years of musical education, because even though I can no longer play, I still have a huge appreciation for music. And it still really matters to me. So and it, and it still enriches my life. Um, good morning, Braden Victoria from Kentucky. Um, Tahir Militia saying, I can muddle my way through the Mendelssohn, but never played in public in Mendelssohn. Yeah, um, I do. I do love Mendelssohn. Um, I went through a huge, I, I do wonder about this. You know, the way they say that if you play certain music to your unborn child, you know, they can hear it. Well, I went, was going through a huge Russian romantics phase. In fact, that lasted about 10 years, all the way through my teenage angsty years. And right the way through my first pregnancy, I was listening to you know, wall to wall, Rimsky, Korsakov, Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, you name it. It thundered through my house and uh, my baby no doubt picked up on it all. Um, he's the only slightly angsty angsty child I have. I wonder if he just he picked up all the Russian romantic vibes. CRTL, well, good morning, fellow crusaders. I love all types of music, but classical really has a different effect on the mind and soul. It does indeed. In fact, one of my favourite, I have lots of favourite pieces of music. I love the Bruch Violin Concerto because I played it and it sort of takes me back. But I also really love a very little-known Russian composer called Kalinikov. Kalinikov's first symphony, it was one of the first symphonies I ever played when I 
the first time I played in an adult orchestra and it's just wonderful and tragically tragically Kalinikov died very young and you just wonder how many other beautiful works of art would he have created um, Mary Stowery says I really like Bach violin concertos I love the double violin concerto that was um, I think it may have even been the first violin concerto I ever played Bach double um, it's so fiddly it's deceptively easy you think oh it looks you know i can manage this when you see when you see the uh, manuscript you think oh it's not so bad um but it is so difficult it's fiendishly difficult because yes you, you're you're playing with another you're playing very fast with another violinist and you can't get a semi-quaver out you have to keep time so perfectly um Jacqueline, Mozart has a mathematical element that helps the brain learn maths and science. I have heard this, Jacqueline. I'm glad someone else has. I wondered if I dreamt it. Um, I had heard that it's actually good for your mind if you if you listen to it. Um, they say that music and maths goes together. I was always hopeless at maths, uh, I have to say. But I do wonder if there's something about the structures, perhaps, which overlaps Um it's it's interesting. It'd be interesting if there there could be some kind of long term studies. Could we get children to listen to Mozart, you know, when they arrive at school? Would it get them? Would it sharpen their minds? Because um, there are certainly things that overlap with maths. Like um, we were told, for example, because my daughter's very mathematically gifted, um, to teach her Latin, because apparently Latin and maths go very well together. Because Latin is a very regular language. It has a lot of rules. But because it's a regular language, once you know the rules, it's very logical. It makes perfect sense. So if you've got a mathematical mind, you do Latin. If you've got more of an artistic mind, you do Greek. Because Greek is all over the place and kind of makes itself up and twists and turns and does all sorts of slightly naughty things you don't expect it to do. Maggie was saying, when I was in college, I would listen to classical music while studying. I still swear that I retained the information better when listening to classical music. There we are. You see, all my railing against dreadful music is, is justified because classical music is what it's, it's, it helps you to learn. It helps you to feel. It, it just it, it teaches you everything. It inspires on every level, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. What else could you possibly want? Um, though I'll, I'll let you into a, a little. Um, it's not. It's not a secret. It was. It was a big giggle uh, when, about thirty years ago now, a classical music radio station was started in Britain called Classic FM. It was the first all classical radio station in Britain where everything they played was classical music. The problem was a lot of the presenters they got in were not experts in classical music. They were not musicians. They were just famous names uh, you know, from, from the radio world. So they had no idea what they were talking about. I mean, now it's completely different. You know, they're, they're a lot um, better prepped about, about music. But you'd get these wonderful moments where... Um, a presenter would say, oh, and on a bit of a dark morning, let's have something really cheerful. The Lacrimosa from Mo Mozart's Requiem, something really upbeat to start the day. And people would phone and say, you do know what a Requiem is, don't you? And do you know what Lacrimosa means? Never mind. Um, but it's not like that now. In fact, there's there's several classical music channels now in Britain. There's Besides Classic FM, there's also Scala Radio. Um, 
Tahil Manisha said, when I was in college, many of the music kids were also maths majors. There we are. There are some musicians that are all left brain creative types. Then there's others that are more analytical minded, less creative, but able to understand and play music. It's interesting because what we used to find, um, I used to do recitals with a Chinese girl. And what our teacher said she found very interesting was she said that a Latin like me said, I was very, I could really interpret the music creatively. It was very expressive and I worked best with the romantics. Um, but technically, I was all over the place. She was all like, oh, for goodness sake, do something about this, do something about that, you know, tighten this up. Whereas the Chinese girl was technically perfect, I mean, absolutely flawless, but really couldn't engage on an emotional level with the music at all. So she used to play a very, very difficult, different kind of music, which was much more focused on the technical brilliance and a lot less on any kind of emotion. Um, it was it was really, and it was odd. So people used to say it was very odd seeing us playing together because we were just stylistically were completely different. And she was a mathematician. Um, hang on. Oh, gosh. Kazi67, agree. It's very beautiful old school stuff especially don't care for the current stuff so much i played the classical kids series for my son all the time i know it'll sound prejudiced but he's really amazing i'm sure he is no it's not prejudice at all it's a completely unbiased attitude my children are amazing too and um i'm and I'm, I'm the perfect judge for that um you know i'm, I'm sure it makes a difference i'm seriously because he's 67 I'm, I'm i'm sure i'm sure it helps Paul, see, I'm at the point where I can't stand modern music. Would prefer to listen to classical or chant. Are you listening to this, Mike? Yes. Ma <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were there or not. I play dreadful music out of habit. Well, break the habit, Mike. Well, well I, I tell you what. Compose me a list of bumper music from the classics, and I will play it. Okay. Lies. Well, for all for all occasions. It's not lies. <laughs> I play John Williams as a re rejoin music all the time. John Williams. See? <laughs> and I know this because Ashley pops and stops whatever she's doing and goes into the chat room and goes, John Williams! John Williams! Well, I wonder if John Williams knows that he has a groupie. Oh, I'm sure he does. Um, I tell you what, okay, what habit would you rather try to break? Your dreadful music habit or your cigar habit? Uh, well, cigar habit is not a habit. It's a virtue. Some <laughs> men so like pipes. Some men like cigars. I, I don't I, I don't partake that often. Uh, really? So uh, I'm going to choose... Well, I, <laughs> the dreadful music habit is uh, people expect it. Oh, I see. It's become a sort of comedy prop, has it? Well, not really a comedy prop. Uh, um, uh, it. Where are you going to draw themes from for your various topics and anything that's composed in the modern world that we would have access to be able to play and to be able to find? I don't know enough oh. about classical to find various emotional themes. I'm sure they're. Okay, I'm sure that I the will... classics wrote. I'm sure that they wrote them. All right, listen. I will. I will draw you up a list to match up with you know as many different emotions as possible. Okay. 
By and the way, um, spe- speaking of comedy, did you get the script I sent you? I got the script. I did not have a chance to review it yet, but hopefully today I will be able to get to it, and uh, we shall proceed forthwith. Indeedy. Okay. Have you this ever had good. an ingrown fingernail? No, that sounds ghastly. Uh, it is absolutely and positively ghastly. Yeah. Is it... Is it worse than an ingrown toenail? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I've never had one. This is the first ingrown. Uh, this is the first in. This is my first ingrowth. I right. was a ingrowth maiden before. <laughs> yes, before deeply unpleasant. Five days ago, and I started noticing. I'm like, why is my finger? Why is that nail swelling up? Uh, oh. And then. Two days ago, then it became, uh, okay, uh, what is that uh, little pocket of pus under the skin oh, that's running? Oh, thank you. It's information. It's information. It was awful. Ah, it was ah, awful. Pus is a... Pus is a... I try to tell them all the time, TMI, man, TMI. Oh, it's not TMI. It is TMI. People are having their breakfast. Uh, no, they've already eaten. <laughs> How do you know that? Is there anyone out there eating their breakfast? Um, um, uh, Answers in the chat room. By now it's brunch. It's not even breakfast, it's brunch. All right, but are people eating as we listen, as we listen to this? Okay. Okay, well, I will... Uh, no more on my... Okay, no more about my nails. Uh, Thank you. But I will tell you uh, that um, uh, regards to the to the story of the uh, okay, what was the name of the child that that uh, Indy? Indy. Okay, so yeah. the latest child to be executed by the by the UK or by judges in the UK. And you're right. It's not, but power trip is not the right word. That's. Okay. I mean, they. I, I mean, the uh, okay. They are enjoying their megalomania. They think that they are in complete and total, or they wish to be in complete and total control of all the facets of your life, which um, I don't know why anyone would really want to do that. We're human beings and we're just, we're complicated. As I just demonstrated with my fingernails, sometimes nasty creatures, why someone would want to sit out there as a puppet master and manipulate uh, all the machinations uh, uh, of various people's lives. I don't understand it. Um, from a preternatural point of view, though, from the uh, from the demon's point of view, I understand it from that point of view because that could lead to the ruin of all souls. Now, you mentioned lacrimarum. So I only know that word from the memorari prayer in, La- in Latin. Yeah. In hoc lacrimarum yeah. vale. So that means... Is that tears? Sorrow? Yes, yes, exactly. So you would know instinctively, just from your knowledge of, of the, the mass and the, and the liturgy, that this is not a cheerful thing. That was, that's, the, that's the big joke. They'd say, oh, it's, let's, let's listen to something really bright and bubbly for this morning. <laughs> yes. no, how about the lacrimosa, you know? Um, <laughs> let's put the medal of the memorari on. Yes, it's very uplifting. Well, you know, my, my, my sister has had to play the Piesu at, at uh, weddings before. Oh, wow. Because it sounds so pretty. And so do you know what it means? Uh, oh, we thought we'd have it when we say we make the vows. Well, if it's going to be that kind of a marriage, maybe you need to. I don't know. Um, well, this is where, you know, the, the easiest way, the place to learn Latin is to learn your prayers and the chants in Latin. Yeah. To learn uh, Memorara, uh, Opiesima, Virgo Maria. Uh, to, to learn your prayers in, in Latin. To learn the Pater Noster. To, to, to even learn the Creed. And people say it's so hard. To, to learn to sing it. 
You go on YouTube, and there's not a piece of the mass, mass that you can't find someone singing very well. And, and, and this is classical. Chant is classical, kind of. Um, when you sing something, it triggers a different uh, learning pattern uh, musically. So mm -hmm. you can learn something musically uh, and memorize it faster and more long, and, and it'll last for a longer period of time than it will mm -hmm. if you just like, if you memorize the, the 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 opening preamble to the King's Speech, for example. Yeah. You might be able to memorize it, but if someone put it, set it to music, yeah, and made a little ditty about it, you mm -hmm. would commit it to memory and you would have greater access to it. But yeah. let me tell you, because I wanted to talk to, to, to it would fit for your show. I, I, I don't know that it would fit if I just busted out into it and started talking about it. But since you brought it up, mm -hmm. Maggie and I have a friend, a, a, a couple. Mm -hmm. I won't give you their last names, but um, it's uh, Mike. And I'm trying to what's Julie, Julie, Mike and Julie. Mike yeah. and Julie, um, and they're, she's in her early, late 30s now. Uh, they mm -hmm. had five children, and she, about three or four years ago, I think it was 2018, she became pregnant for their sixth, and she had a complicated pregnancy. It was determined at about six months or so that there was a high probability that uh, she was going to have a down child. Mm -hmm. Of course, being good Catholics, they, uh, uh, they offered up and they prayed and they proceeded on. Um, uh, uh, the, the baby was born and it was born with all manner of complications. And now just uh, the exact opposite of your case, okay? All manner of complications. One of them, it was like a 99 or 98% chance was fatal mm -hmm. and that he was not going to recover from that. But yeah. that did not stop the hospital uh, and the doctors and the medical team that they were working with from trying to save that child's life. All the way mm -hmm. to the day uh, when Julie was holding, what, what was it, Maggie, what was her, the little boy's name? I can't remember. I want to say it, was an, it wasn't Andrew, but I can't remember. In any event, um, uh, he, he lasted, uh, I think, 35 days. Yep. 35 mm -hmm. days. And Fiorella, we saw them. Okay, so he died on like a Tuesday. Uh, I want to say it was a Tuesday. We saw them. They came to Mass, and we saw them at Mass uh, the following Sunday. And uh, during certain parts of the Mass, because she was sitting in front of us, I could just see her shoulders going up and down. She was, she was boo-hooing. Um, and then after Mass, of course, you know, they, they had dozens and dozens of friends that, you know, all gathered around to console them. Um, the heartache uh, and the grief. Now, again, 35 days hmm. that they had uh, attached to that child in that short amount of time. So when someone says, when someone, when, when these callous bastards are there, well, you know, he wasn't like it was a grown child and they, someone would want to sit out there as a puppet master and manipulate uh, all the machinations uh, uh, of various people's lives. I don't understand it. Um, from a preternatural point of view, though, from the, uh, from the demon's point of view, I understand it from that point of view because that could lead to the ruin of all souls. Now, you mentioned lacrimarum. So, I only know that word from the memorari prayer in Latin. 
Yeah. In hoc lacrimarium vale. So that means, is that tears? Sorrow? Yes, yes, exactly. So you would know instinctively just from your knowledge of of the the mass and and the liturgy that this is not a cheerful thing. That was, that's the that's the big joke. They say, "Oh, it's, let's let's listen to something really bright and bubbly for this morning." <laughs> yes. no, how about the lacrimosa? You know, let's, um, <laughs> let's put the medal of the memorari on. Yes, it's very uplifting. Well, yeah, my, my my sister has had to play the Piazzu at at uh, weddings before. Oh wow! Because it sounds so pretty. And so, do you know what it means? Uh, oh, we thought we'd have it when we say we make the vows. Well, if it's going to be that kind of a marriage, maybe you need to. I don't know. Um, well, this is where, you know, the, the easiest way, the place to learn Latin is to learn your prayers and the chants in Latin. Yeah. To learn uh, Memorara, uh, Opiesima Virgo Maria, uh, to, to learn your prayers in, in Latin, to learn the Pater Noster, to, to, to even learn the Creed. And people say it's so hard to learn to sing it. You can go on YouTube, and there's not a piece of the mass, mass that you can't find someone singing very well. And, and, and this is classical. Chant is classical, kind of. Um, when you sing something, it triggers a different uh, learning pattern uh, musically. So mm-hmm. you can learn something musically uh, and memorize it faster and more lo- and, and it'll last for a longer period of time. Then it will mm-hmm. if you just like, if you memorize the, the 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 opening preamble to the King's speech, for example, yeah. you might be able to memorize it. But if someone put it, set it to music, yeah, and made a little ditty about it, you mm-hmm. would commit it to memory and you would have greater access to it. But yeah. let me tell you, because I wanted to talk to, to, to it would fit for your show. I, I I don't know that it would fit if I just busted out into it and started talking about. it, But since you brought it up. Mm-hmm. Maggie and I have a friend, a, a, a couple. I won't give you their last names, but um, it's uh, Mike. And I'm trying to what, what's Julie, Julie, Mike and Julie, Mike yeah. and Julie. Um, and there she's in her early late 30s now. Uh, they mm-hmm. had five children, and she, about three or four years ago, I think it was 2018, she became pregnant for their six, and she had a complicated pregnancy. It was determined at about six months or so that there was a high probability that uh, she was going to have a down child. Mm-hmm. Of course, being good Catholics, they, uh, uh, they offered up and they prayed and they proceeded on. Um, uh, the the baby was born, and it was born with all manner of complications. And now, just uh, the exact opposite of your case, okay? All manner of complications. One of them, it was like a ninety nine or ninety eight percent chance was fatal, mm-hmm. and that he was not going to recover from that. But yeah. that did not stop. The hospital uh, and the doctors and the medical team that they were working with from trying to save that child's life all the way to the day uh, when Julie was holding. What was it, Maggie? What was her the little boy's name? I can't remember. I want to say it was it wasn't Andrew, but I can't remember. In any event, um, uh, he he lasted uh, I think thirty five days. Yep. Thirty-five mm-hmm. days, and Fiorella, we saw them. Okay, so he died on like a Tuesday. Uh, I want to say it was a Tuesday. We saw them. They came to mass, and we saw them at mass uh, the following Sunday. 
And uh, during certain parts of the mask, she was sitting in front of us. I could just see her shoulders going up and down. She was she was boohooing. Um, and then after mass, of course, you know, they, they had dozens and dozens of friends that, you know, all gathered around to console them. Um, the heartache uh, and the grief. Now, again, 35 days hmm. that they had uh, attached to that child in that short amount of time. So when someone says, when someone, when, when these callous bastards are there, well, you know, he wasn't like it was a grown child and they probably never got to hold it and they didn't establish a bond and all that to justify murdering it or letting it die. Uh, you have no idea what you're talking about because I've seen, again, in 35 days, I can bear personal witness. I've seen what a beautiful, loving attachment is formed immediately in the womb. From yeah. conception, right? Between mother and child, more deeply between mother and child, but certainly father is there as well. So I call BS on all that. Well, it's a, it, 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 it's a different kind of suffering, and it's not so bad. You don't know what you're talking about. No, I mean, I went through this. My, my aunt had a baby just, just like that, you know, where um, she, she lived for 15 days. Um, and, yes, you know, the the. The, you know, the bond was very close. It was a it was a very very difficult time. Um, I will say though, Mike, and I need to say this: in Britain, these sorts of cases like Charlie Guard, they are very rare. Sure. Um, and you know, my own baby was uh, the medical team fought tooth and nail to save his life, little Nicholas. Um, you know, he should not be here. Uh, he he developed complications uh, just uh, just around the time he was being born, and you know I I can't I honestly can't say that there was any more they could have done for him. You know they they really did go round the clock to save him. He was in a special care unit. You know all the rest. I don't feel that the medical decisions in these cases are wrong. I think there is such a thing as burdensome treatment, and it's heartbreaking, but there are times when there is simply nothing further that can be done to save a person. What I, what, I dis, what I disagree with is the fact that the courts got involved and stopped the couple from taking, taking the baby to another hospital. That, that, that's, my, that's my complaint. I feel that is very, very wrong. But it has a, an effect out there in society as well. And, yeah. and, and, of course, you know, we live in an age when everyone has to comment about everything. So no mm. one can remain silent about this. But the people that talk about the, that, the, that there's no emotional bond and all that, you're just, you, you're, just mm. you're, you're borderline possessed. You just don't know what you're – or you're just yeah, stupid so and you're vindictive and just don't know what you're talking about. Look, in the chat room, there he is right there. There's a, yeah. That's the baby I'm talking about right there. And it's, mm. That's his two older brothers. Yeah, and there, there's no, my I mean, friend. There's yeah, my friend they, Mike, and you know what? My, and of course, they had him baptized. He was mm -hmm. uh, Father uh, Charles went and did all, everything. Mm -hmm. Day he was born, Father Charles was there. Uh, again, and another part about being a, 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 a Catholic is that we deal with these things mm -hmm. as the faith teaches us and gives us the sacraments and the ability to deal with them. Mm, absolutely. Grace, grace comes. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about the grace that came out of this. Okay, let me tell you. That man right there, Mike Pig, my friend, after the baby was buried, after the funeral and everything, he gathered the, the kids around, the boys around, and he told them, y'all have a high bar now because <laughs> little Charles is in heaven. He's a saint. 
Now you have to follow him. And I'm like, that, dude, I lost it when he said that. I'm like, that's the most poignant thing you could ever tell your children. <laughs> that yeah. if you want to meet him, if, if you want if you want to get to know him, you can, but you have to follow him to heaven because he's a saint. Yeah. Because he was that's baptized, beautiful. you know, the whole the 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 the, the whole Catholic um uh was he confirmed? Charles confirm him? I want to say, yeah. And so that's the grace that comes out of it, mm. right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know you are right that there is a, there's a misunderstanding about the level of grief involved. I think this is true also of miscarriage. Yeah. Actually, that people have this sort of sense of oh well, you know, it, it, it's not it's not the same. Um, you know, you, you didn't have time to get to know the baby. It's not like that. We, we know it's not like that. You know, Brother Andre and I just did a show about this because of the law that was passed in Ohio to abort babies the day of the uh, the de- on, mm. on their due date, and about the limbo of the infants. And yeah. uh, and, and uh, Candace and I have another uh, dear friend, uh, the Fauches, and Wally wrote a book about this about his little boy Paulie. Paulie was carried to term and was delivered still. Yeah, and when of course when they, they kind of lost the heartbeat before Polly was born because they had already named him right because they knew there were complications when Polly was born um, and, and he was born still you know uh, well, well, my friend Wally was there and he baptized him right then and there and he said but I don't know the teaching I don't know whether or not I did a good thing did the baptism count well brother Andre clarif- cleared that up for us Brother, brother said, you, absolutely you should baptize a stillborn because we don't know definitively the moment the soul leaves the body. Mm. So you should absolutely err on the side of baptizing. And so little Polly was born still. And as soon as he came out, that's one of the, that's the first thing that, that, that yeah. my friend Wally did in a, in a Trinitarian form. He had water. He had holy water there in his pocket. And he and he he baptized him. You know, the, the the these discussions here just reminds me. I was watching yesterday the city. There's a city in Iceland, and there is a fissure, a volcanic fissure that's running through the the, the center yeah. of the town now. The whole, I mean, basically it's just bisecting the town now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're saying they're, they're detecting seismic activities, and there could be a massive volcanic eruption. They don't know where. Maybe a, a volcano that's dormant, or maybe a one that's already there. Um, and I and I don't want to be flippant, and this is not said mean spirited though. But the the island of Iceland and the country of Iceland, these people are barbarians. These people brag to the world that they had ninety six percent. Of Down syndrome babies killed in utero, yeah, and they boasted about it. They have a, they have a, talk about a, a, a eugenicists and eugenics at work that they have basically purified the gene pool in Iceland because they had rid it of Down syndrome babies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe uh, maybe a maybe, maybe a little well, chastisement. <laughs> Well, you see, I feel though that I mean, so we've we've got to stop actually because I know you've got to get on, but this is such a huge topic. We we need to talk about this again though, um, it's because it's it's important. No, okay. we should. No, we absolutely should. Look, C three just put that in the chat room. That's a good point, Cesare. Um, uh, global volcanic uh, uptake and potential implications. New study shows how historical eruptions triggered uh, global cooling. Most people uh, uh, attach volcanic eruptions to fire, so they think mm. heat. Krakatoa. You don't think heat. Think cold. Mm. 
Yeah, Krakatoa. Yes, yes. Volcanic ash clouds are nothing to play around with. Yeah. You don't want to live in a world where there's... <laughs> you don't want to live east of Krakatoa. Because if mm -hmm. you did, then the periclastic cloud, which is filled with glass... Yeah. People don't understand about these uh, about a, a paraclastic cloud. The reason why it incinerates you as it, as it comes down the mountain is okay. It's steam, but you know, uh, hot air is only going to get so hot. Um, uh, it is the fact that it it, it contains micro particles of silica, glass. You call it glass. You assemble mm -hmm. it together. It's glass, right? It's superheated yep. freaking glass that's coming down. You you basically get you get vaporized, but. You, you're 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 being uh, almost like nanobot uh, uh, devoured here. Well, the glass also goes up into the atmosphere, and what happens is, you know, I, I, I'm a nerd, so I, me, me and your son <laughs> Hugh, me and Hugh are going to get along fa famously. Um, the glass reflects the sun back out into space. So you have a ginormous volcanic cloud. You're going to get cooling. Mm. No if ands or buts. So volcanic activity uh, does lead to cooling. So, uh, today is, uh, is King Charles's birthday. Hey, happy mm -hmm. birthday. Long live the king, right? Aren't we supposed to say Indeed. that? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> long, live. long live to reign over us. <laughs> long live the king. Uh, not so long live the new reign of David Cameron. <laughs> uh, it's not a reign, fortunately. At least that's not the plan. <laughs> He was in. No, he is a warmonger. Uh, he uh, he almost almost conned the parliament into a disastrous war with the Syrians. Yep, he didn't. Almost, he did not succeed. Thank heavens no. for cooler heads in the House of Commons, or it would yeah. have happened. No, no time for this man whatsoever. No, none. Um, Absolutely okay. none. Well, Fiorella, um, great to talk uh, with you. Uh, I will read the summons over and uh, have a safe and blessed remainder of the day. We shall see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. It is 34 minutes past the hour. It's been my absolute pleasure to bring you the early show all the way from a very, very wet England. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at CrusadeChannel.com. And the chat room is open for your commentary as well at CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the King Dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be.